to God. Our gospel reading this third Sunday of Easter is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. This is um, a huge chapter in our Christian history, and I invite you this afternoon to read all of Luke 24 as as part of your spiritual discipline, because sometimes the stories don't make sense unless we put them into context. And this story is a post-resurrection story. And some of you may not know that there was more than one post-resurrection appearance. I didn't really know this until I went to seminary. I thought Jesus appeared just once outside the tomb, and that wasn't the case. He actually had multiple post-resurrection experiences and, um, and showings, so to speak, to let his people know that he was not gone, but that he continues to walk with us. So in this post-resurrection appearance, Luke explains it this way. At verse 36, he said, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Hang on to that phrase. I'll have a little quiz later. Peace be with you. The disciples were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Jesus said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, Jesus said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Not just any fish, the rest of the Bible just says fish. But this was very specific. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. I say this often, but I consider our band to be the best worship band in the city of Columbus. And I know I'm supposed to say it's my favorite band in the city of Columbus and not the best, but I think it's the best. So let us know online if you agree with my assessment. I'm not a musician, but I am a pastor, and I can tell you that the music that we offer each and every week provides access to our soul in a way that nothing else can. It is healing, um, it is redemptive, and it helps us get through this age of pandemic together. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week, Hank wrestled with the gospel lesson about doubting Thomas. This passage this week was very similar, right? And Hank wrestled with daring to have a faith so strong that it trumps fear. And do you remember what Jesus taught us to say to each other when we are afraid? This is a pop quiz. You might not realize you have a pop quiz during this sermon since you aren't all here. So it's a pop quiz. What did Hank teach us that Jesus shared to say to each other when we are afraid or when we greet each other? Let me know online. Is everybody getting it online? I'll share it with you. In case you don't remember the answer, it's peace 
be with you. So no matter what, when you're afraid, when you're greeting each other, when you're having a hard time, or when someone comes to you with a problem, Jesus said, sometimes all we can do is say, peace be with you. Well, today's sermon starts where Hank left off last week, but this time, Jesus is in a different resurrection setting, and after he says, peace be with you, he adds, in today's terms, I'm hungry, got anything to eat? And I remember being blown away by that passage because I thought Jesus had spiritually or spiritly resurrected after the post-Easter story, and I kept thinking, how could he be physically hungry? I don't get that. It was a mixed message. Pastor Mary just talked to us about mixed messages. But sometimes we have to remember that our binary thinking is not sufficient to cover spiritual messages, that sometimes it's not either or, it's both and. There is more to this passage that meets the eye once we understand the historical context in which it's written as Luke sought to counter the dualism of the time that kept people enslaved physically and spiritually. And so often these mixed messages cause leaders to demand, especially at times like this, that we choose between being pastoral and prophetic, that we choose between being religious and being political. Yet being pastoral and prophetic, being religious and political, is exactly what Jesus was trying to teach us in a world enmeshed in dualistic mixed messages. Today's sermon is entitled, Mixed Messages in an Age of Pandemic, because mixed messages can be deadly. I mean, think about it. How many of you have had to fact-check the president's statements about COVID-19? Let us know online if you've done any of that. You can actually do it right now because you're home, right? You have multiple devices, many of you. Or if you don't, I'm going to give you some clues. But you can Google right now Trump's mixed messages about COVID-19. That's one search. Or you can just say Trump's timeline of misinformation. That'll pop up on CBS News. But there are a host of reputable news stories that will pop up with loads of fact-checking and cross-referencing if you Google Trump's mixed messages about COVID-19. As some of you are Googling right now, Others of you might be wondering, well, why is this important on this third Sunday of Easter and in a sermon? It's important because mixed messages can be deadly. You may not know that the U.S. has only 4% of the world's population, but we have 32% of the world's confirmed COVID-19 cases. And those are the confirmed cases. Those aren't all the ones that might be out there we don't know about. But just in confirmed cases, we have eight times the rest of the world. That, you, that should sink in for a minute. The greatest nation in the world. As of last night's news, 51,000 Americans have died from COVID-19, representing more than 25% of the entire world's death toll in this pandemic. Do you realize that? That in America, we have a quarter of the deaths in the world in this pandemic. That should give you pause, especially as we approach reopening slowly our businesses and, and our city because our economy is tanking. It's, it's, a, it's a rough balance. 
But you have to wonder, how did the greatest nation in the earth get here today, where we have eight times the national or the world average of confirmed COVID-19 cases, and we have a quarter of the world's death toll? We're, we're actually number one in ways that we don't want to be. So how do we get here? It was in no small part due to the mixed messages that have populated the National Administration's tenuous hold on the truth. So let me give you a few examples of these deadly mixed messages. And let me know online if you have heard of these. I can't do an exhaustive list because that would take me hours. So I'm just going to give you a few. Let me know online if you've heard of these. Despite being warned by our intelligence agencies at the end of 2019 and again in January 2020 that a pandemic was an imminent threat to our American way of life, Trump said on January 21st, it's only one person coming in from China and we have it under control. Did you hear that one? A month later, on February 26th, Despite growing signs the pandemic was invading America, Trump said, within a couple of days, the number of cases in the U.S. is going to be down close to zero. On March 6th, a few weeks later, Trump said, anybody who wants a test can get a test. Have you heard that one? We're here six weeks after that, and that is not true. Anybody who wants a test cannot get a test. We are woefully under-tested. By March 10th, Trump said, just stay calm. It will go away. This was repeated again on April 3rd. Just stay calm. It will go away. That's known as minimizing. That's done to people sometimes to keep them in their place. Well, as more and more of us turn to our local and state officials instead, like Ohio Governor DeWine and public health director, Dr. Amy Acton, as more of us turn to our local and state officials for the hard truth, you know, the facts about COVID-19 and what was required of us to build herd immunity to protect the least of these, Trump was tweeting more mixed messages supporting armed demonstrators. Have you heard of that? Did you see that on the news? I actually think this photo right here from the Ohio State House should win a Pulitzer. That, my own personal opinion, that one should win a Pulitzer. Uh, that, that demonstrates what's happening right now in Ohio. These small groups of demonstrators who are not observing social distancing, because take a look at that, right? They are not wearing their masks. They're not observing physical distancing. And you might ha not have noticed, and I'm not putting the other pictures up here today, but they were carrying semi-automatic weapons into crowds in order to intimidate people into their way of thinking. That is not who we are, Ohio. I just want to lift that up. That is not who we are. And the latest, who can tell me the latest? Give me um, some feedback online. What was the latest mix, mixed message that you heard in the last couple of days? Are we getting some responses there? Just take a minute. Did you hear about the latest mixed message? There are so many, I know it's hard to cull through them all. But I'll give you a hint in case you've turned off the news out of frustration and you can't take any more.
The latest mixed message is about curing COVID-19 by injecting bleach into the body. Well, you might not know that poison control centers across the country were flooded with calls. Some of us might have known enough to say, well, that, shoot, that's not, that's not an effective medical treatment. But other people didn't. And they flooded poison control centers across the country. I mean, you know you've screwed up when the makers of Clorox and Lysol in the midst of a pandemic denounce you in their own way by saying in some form or another, along with the scientists and the physicians, we can't believe we have to say this, but don't drink bleach. It will kill you. It is poisonous. You know you've screwed up with, when Clorox and Lysol have to do that. And I'm sorry, the experts have told us that that is no joke. Sarcasm is not appropriate when you're talking to a country that has lost 51,000 Americans to this awful pandemic. And sarcasm, you may not know, I'm so glad a friend posted this on Facebook, this reminder that we have to remember that sarcasm is actually brutal. The Greek word for it was tearing flesh. I say in pastoral ministry that sarcasm is veiled anger. You always have to be really careful if you're not anywhere other than a comedy club. When you hear sarcasm, that should, your red flag should go up. Because sarcasm is veiled anger, it is brutal, and it is not appropriate when, you're, when you have a bully pulpit and you're talking to a country that has lost 51,000 Americans. Now, I know I'm spending a lot of time, a lot of my sermon time on this today, but it's because I want all of you to be well-informed, no matter where you are in life. I don't want anyone watching this or any child watching this to think that drinking bleach or eating a Tide Pod is okay. It's not. I'm sharing all of this so that our, our community continues to remember who we are and whose we are in the midst of this pandemic. I just wanted to share one picture with you. If you've forgotten who we are, that's a picture on March 15th, our last service in the sanctuary, the flannel flood in honor of John Boyle. Just take a minute there and just remember who we are. I know most of you are sitting at home right now on a device, and you may or may not have great connectivity on your device, but just take a minute and remember who we are and whose we are. And I hope that keeps you encouraged about how we're going to get through this together. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on politics and mixed messages because I think it's important right now in our country. I really appreciated how Thomas Friedman just yesterday on April 25th framed our American dilemma. And he wrote this so well, I just want to share this with you. He said, to get out of this crisis with the least loss of life and least damage to our economy, we need a president who can steer a science-based nonpartisan debate through the hellish ethical, economic, and environmental trade-offs we have to make. We need a president, wrote Thomas Friedman, who is a cross between FDR, Justice Brandeis, and Jonas Salk. We got a president who is a cross between Dr. Phil, Dr. Strangelove, and Dr. Seuss. Now, Thomas Friedman continued. He says, sure, Trump isn't the only one sowing division 
in our society. But as president, he has a megaphone like no one else, so when he spews his politics of division and suggests disinfectants as cures, he is not only eroding our society's physical immunity to the coronavirus, but he is also eroding our cognitive immunity. Have you heard that term before, cognitive immunity? It is our ability to filter out science from quackery and facts from fabrications. Cognitive immunity is as important as anything right now in this pandemic. So let me know if you've heard of this concept of cognitive immunity before today. Because today's scripture reading is also about building up this kind of cognitive immunity around the sacred center of our faith rather than the cognitive dissonance of mixed messages and dualism. You know, we have lots of mixed messages in Christianity about the sacred center of our faith, especially in our bigger is better culture where crystal church cathedrals touch the sky only to shatter in bankrupt relationships. And it wasn't all that different early on in our Christian tradition when the evangelist Luke was putting together his story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, when Luke was writing his gospel, and you may not know this, so I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. When Luke was writing his gospel, he was living in a time when the sacred center of religious people had been taken away. Much like where we are now, I'm sitting in an empty sanctuary preaching to a a TV video camera. Much of what we know about our Christian life together has been taken away. Luke was writing in that kind of a time. And historically for the Jewish people, you may not know this, that the temple in Jerusalem had been the sacred center. And it was more than just a building. The temple represented the presence within the world of the true and living God. But in the great struggle between the Jews and Romans in the years 66 through 70 AD, after the death of Christ, the temple was destroyed. The Jewish people were left without a visible, tangible sign of the presence of God. Now, historians tell us that Christianity flourished in that time because it found its sacred center not in the temple, but in the life and teachings of the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So you can imagine the shock that the early Christians felt when Jesus had been destroyed or crucified and there was no longer that center. The people who had first centered their relationship with God in a temple and who had later found that center in a person were left with neither temple nor person. So where did they turn? When their sacred center was destroyed, where did they turn? And that seems to be the question that Luke is addressing in this very curious gospel reading. Luke begins to answer that question with the Messiah, as we heard from Hank last week, the Messiah who is showing his crucifixion wounds post-resurrection to his followers, inviting them to touch him so that they won't think that he is Casper the friendly ghost. And next in the story, the resurrected Jesus eats with his followers and he eats broiled fish. And one day I'm going to do a sermon just on that broiled fish because everyone else, everywhere else in the Bible it just says fish. And here we're told how it was prepared. 
But as Luke professes that the resurrected Jesus is not a ghost or a spirit, but is a physical as well as a spiritual being, you can see the both and. You can see the pushback against dualism, that Jesus was both a physical and a spiritual being. Jesus was was both God and human. And it was crucial for God to make this point and to make it as strongly as possible because there were people in that day who believed that God did not really become a human being in the form of Jesus. And this was a huge theological and philosophical debate back then with profound implications that continue to reverberate today. Because I know right now I've lost some of you when I talk about Bible and history and things like that. But the reason I do that is because we see the reverberations today. Thousands of years later, this continues to impact us. There is something, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there is something that is called dualistic Gnosticism. And you get an extra 10 points on the pop quiz if you can spell Gnosticism in your Facebook feed. So everybody take a shot. See if you can spell Gnosticism. Hank is excluded from this because he's in seminary, so he does know how to spell that. But I'll give you the short version of Gnosticism. It was the split between spirit in heaven and flesh and world. It was basically heaven and world. There was a split. They couldn't be both and. And that reverberated throughout Christianity. I'm going to give you two examples of how we've seen that play out in history. And I hope that will help you see how it's playing out today. This was the theology, this Gnostic theology was what was taught to the slaves in the South 150 years ago when they were allowed finally to go to church. They were told, don't worry about things here on earth, stick to spiritual and heavenly issues. You know, it it was all about getting to heaven and not about conditions here on earth. So the slaves, if you read history, you will find out that the slaves were read only a select portion of the Bible the spiritual portions of the Bible. They were not permitted to read or experience the entire Bible or wrestle with the earthly portions of the Bible like today's passage about Jesus eating broiled fish after the resurrection. So you can do a little digging on your own to see how this kept people enslaved. If you teach people that the only thing that matters is their reward in heaven and to suffer here on earth, it tends to keep people enslaved. So you can do some more research on that. More currently, this same dualistic theology also infected the mountains of eastern Kentucky. It's coal country. When coal was first discovered and mined in the Appalachian Mountains, the coal magnets would set up a little coal community of row houses. And you remember those company towns? And at the end of that community of row houses for all the coal miners, there would be a Protestant church built by the coal owners for the coal miners and their families, including the children who worked in the mines. This is a true historic picture of children who were working in the mines at the time. And sometimes the church was Baptist or Methodist, maybe Pentecostal or Presbyterian, but it was the coal magnates who would hire the preachers. And the preachers were told to stick to these spiritual issues and not to physical issues like economics or mine safety or, God forbid, miners' unions or child labor laws that eventually did keep the kids out of the mines. But these were physical issues that the church was told by the coal magnates it shouldn't be involved in. 
stick to saving souls, the mine owners would tell the preachers, or find another job. And that was the ultimate mixed message to a lot of preachers, and that reverberates even today. Stick to saving souls and let justice be damned. Now, this heresy was not, confirm, not confined to older history. We see it today during this pandemic. Stick to the spiritual stuff, Pastor, I've been told, and skip the social issues. We just want things that are going to be spiritual and feed our souls. Focus on heaven, not on justice. Talk about the soul, not the body, or the lack of adequate medical care, or the underlying poverty, racism, and socioeconomic oppression that this plague in 2020 has laid bare. Hank did a great job last week really uncovering that. Well, for today, I will leave the COVID-19 scientific facts and the herd immunity discussion. I'm going to leave that to the physicians and the scientists. But I hope today that we have begun to build up your cognitive and spiritual immunity in an age of pandemic. I know this will take time, but it's important that we build our cognitive and our spiritual immunity during this time that we are away from each other, away from our church building, away from the familiar. Because when we think about the sacred center of our faith, there is no doubt that our church buildings are important. But today's passage reminds us of something we've been saying for weeks now, that the sacred center of our life is not a building. The sacred center of our life is found in the daily ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ, as we are literally armpit deep in the physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, human hurts, of people in our church and in our community and in our world. You know, we are living in a time where there is no roadmap for being the church. Yet our congregation rose to the challenge six weeks ago, armed with the knowledge that our church is not a building, but the body of Christ spread throughout central Ohio. Your care for each other and for our city has been extraordinary as each of you have managed your own grief and frustrations and vulnerability and fear and care for yourselves and your families and your loved ones in the midst of this invisible and deadly threat. It is really hard to love and fear at the same time and to find a way forward. But y'all have figured out how to do that. I think of all the ministries our church figured out how to do remotely. And if you're new to us online today. I hope you'll hang with me for a minute while I read just a list of some of the ministries that our church has figured out how to do remotely while others are still struggling. We designed and funded a to-go meal program to feed the homeless through the largest table. We worked to maintain this church facility so that the open shelter could remain open to provide daily services to hundreds of homeless and marginally housed neighbors in Columbus who continue to fall through that social safety net. Make no mistake, there are still homeless people on the streets of Columbus who have not been cared for during this pandemic. Our church manifested a care callers program to reach out to members of the church remotely. We're still doing that. We're still trying to reach all of you and check in. We learned how to conduct gospel choir practice via Zoom and a Facebook group and Dropbox and all these things I had to figure out along with David Butler's tech genius. So thank you, David, for helping us walk through all of that. 
The last six weeks, we have gathered on our home computers each Wednesday evening to laugh and cry and share and discuss spiritual resilience in times of crisis to help build that cognitive and spiritual immunity in a world where the mixed messages can be overwhelming. We held remote leadership meetings to plan and pivot and innovate and encourage and find new ways to be present when we couldn't be present. Some of you made face masks for our frontline workers and dropped them on people's doorsteps. And others wrote cards of encouragement for our pastors and our medical personnel to let them know how much we are valued and how much our work matters. And that's just a fraction of what St. John's has done to demonstrate God's love during this extraordinary time in history. I hope you will all give yourselves a round of applause online for all of the extraordinary work that you have done in the midst of this pandemic. So today, when we talk about mixed messages and cognitive immunity and spiritual immunity, I just want to say, thank you, St. John's. Thank you for showing Columbus that our church is not a building, but a brave and courageous group of people who love God and love neighbor, soul, and body. Let us pray. Almighty God, may we always remember the humanity of your son Jesus, who showed us how to be humane to each other in this world. Too often we succumb to mixed messages proclaiming there is an insurmountable chasm between our humanity and our spirituality, leading us to all sorts of injustice against each other. Help us to remember our ever-hungry Jesus, who reminded us that we are all one. In his name, amen.